Stuff Podcasts. This episode of What's Wrong With You is sponsored by Every Human, an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing, footwear and lifestyle products. It's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities. Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au. You know that saying, the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Well, it kind of takes on a different meaning when you use a wheelchair. This is a sound of a squeaky wheel I had for a few weeks because it took me ages to get around to sorting it. There are so many important causes, issues and protests in the world to support, but disability rights never seems to get much of that grease. But disabled people need to keep being the squeaky wheel because the systems we navigate are designed by non-disabled people. The health system, education system, the infrastructure. To rebuild the world, it's going to take strong leadership from disabled people. We often talk about the importance of diverse and minority voices having a seat at the table. But what happens if you're disabled and the building isn't accessible to get into in the first place? Disabled people are strong, but our strength is more quiet, less obvious to the average person on the street. We are capable, but this is measured against a different standard. It's hard to prove you can be a leader when you can't tie your shoelaces or vacuum the house. So that's what this episode is all about. People in leadership roles who happen to be disabled. Disabled people who are demanding big changes in a world that is not accessible and how you pick your battles when you're disabled. Oh, and by the way, my wheelchair just needed a little bit of CRC spray. I'm Olivia Shivers. And I'm Rebecca Dubber. And you're listening to What's Wrong With You, a podcast about disability, and what it's like living in a world that's not designed for you. We're talking about parenting when you're disabled, how to travel on a plane as a wheelchair user. And we discuss some of the big mysteries when you're disabled, like why people think essential oils will cure our disabilities. Our first guest is Golis Gahraman. She's Iranian Kurdish and came to Aotearoa as a child asylum seeker. She's also a List MP for the Green Party and the first refugee MP in New Zealand. She'd been working in one of the least accessible places in New Zealand, our parliament, when she realised that something strange was going on with her body. This is the question we've been asking everyone, is what's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um... A lot, Um, (laughs) so much, but um, I guess in terms of my sort of health and disability stuff, I I have a chronic illness, which is multiple sclerosis. Um, At the moment, it hasn't, it isn't manifesting in any physical disability, but the types of attacks that I have have resulted in partial blindness, um, almost complete blindness in one eye, and um, 
I guess when I say it's not manifesting right now, it's always, I always have numbness at the bottom of my feet. But sometimes when I'm having like an attack would be the numbness comes up to about my knee and it's just sort of there. Um, so, you know, I, I don't feel like I sort of, and I've, for most of my political life, I've had this because I had my first attack about three months after I was elected to parliament. I guess the other thing that's wrong with me is that I'm a politician. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that uh, process of actually being diagnosed mm. with MS-like? So I always say I was really lucky with my MS diagnosis because my first attack was a really um, like a really distinct thing because mm. I went blind in one eye. Yeah. It's not like me going insane is not a slow moving illness. Like I'm, I really need to know what's wrong with me and I still can't see. Um, so we kind of waited and there was the numbness was coming as well. Like I knew there was something more, even though I was sort of telling myself that it was probably not just nothing and it was just the eye thing. I knew that it was weird that I was having these tingling sensations in my feet and the eye mm. was gone. So sort of went to this new GP and kind of took my little health notes from the Auckland hospital and the the referral to the MRI and I explained it to her and then said I've been referred but it's five month wait I'd like to just can you just give me a private referral I'll just pay for it Mm. and she wouldn't even look at the bits of paper she was like you need to go home just make a list of your symptoms and try to be rational and she <laughs> said the word rational. And I'm <laughs> like, I've got, the- no, no, I've been to a hospital. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Whatever, eventually I did get the thing and then saw a neurologist and within, so it took about six months overall anyway mm. to get the full diagnosis and then another couple of months to get access to the treatment because they want you to have two attacks before you qualify just to make sure you're really, really good in MS. I'm just fuming at that story. Do you know for your I, experience? I, I want to add something that makes it worse. Um, it oh my god, worse. how can it get worse? <laughs> okay, so my partner was actually with me. Then we've left, and I'm fuming, and I'm going. It's because she thought I was young, and I was brand, and I was rah rah like. He was like, no, she was just being nice. Oh, my God. And so I just then had to deal with not being believed. And Mm, I'm going, I'm just being gaslit. And now I'm being... And he's like, well, you were being quite rude. Oh, my God. I'm blind. Like, I just need to... Yeah. When I first got my neurologist, he's absolutely lovely and just an older other diff- sort of generation is absolutely like, but I just couldn't get information out of her and now I'm with a woman and she's younger and I just relate to her better anyway so when I first sat down with her and I kind of said okay this was the problem before I need the communication she sort of took me through the different treatments and I decided to go on the really hardcore one that I'm on now because it's the most effective at actually killing the MS mm. but she explained to me the way that they go about recommending a treatment and it's just taught at medical school there's like some pyramid or whatever and they will always 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 tell you that the most suitable treatment for you is the one that has the least side effects mm. but they won't go through with you 
that that's why they've recommended it. So they yeah. won't go. So some some of us might actually be fine with the side effects, but mm. want to kill the disease with fire, mm. which is me. Yeah. <laughs> and then she said, and then when we measure disability, when we say something is most effective at minimising disability in terms of disability development and MS, mm. um, we measure it based on mobility. Whereas someone like me would, because there's also speech and sight and all of that, the brain stuff. That's not considered Yeah, mobility. that's not, they're not measuring yeah. that in the same way. And they're just assuming that humans would rather be able to walk than see and speak or whatever. Oh, yeah, we, we, and, we know that, don't yeah, we? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that just blew my mind because mm-hmm. what I do and who I am, like, for me, it would actually be speech. That just blew my mind. It's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, pick and choose. Which disability yeah. do you prefer to have? So now the treatment that I get is, uh, and it's administered by way of infusion, it's a little bit like chemotherapy. Um, it has the same exact impact on my immune system as uh, as what people on chemotherapy have dealt to their immune system, but it's not the same thing. So they just um, inject through a drip. The infusion is, yeah, they just they poke it into your arm and then you sit there for about five hours while it drips in. Um, and what it does is, the one that I'm on at least, actually physically kills your immune cells in your blood. It's great because MS is an autoimmune illness where your immune system attacks your nervous system. And so by killing your immune system, they more like they much, much, much um, dampen that attack. Mm. You don't feel good afterwards, like you mm. feel a bit wounded and tired and your body's like trying to heal for the next couple of days. How often do you have to have that done? Only every six months. Oh, okay. When I started talking about, maybe talking about this in public, uh, someone really, really well-meaning with an autoimmune illness said to me, don't do it because you'll be downranked on the list. There'll be an assumption that you can't really do the job of an MP. And I was like, oh my God, she genuinely believes this. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not, (laughs) she was like trying to give kind advice, you know, and she's, she lives with an autoimmune, she's an older woman. And I was just like, no, like we can't live in that world. (laughs) So it was a little bit of that, you know? Like, I don't know if it's having an impact, but... Yeah, it's a, it's a interesting, like, when do you reveal you have a disability when you don't have to? Whether mm-hmm. it's, like, on a dating app or applying for a job or applying for a home oh loan God, yeah. or a house or, like, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I've been, like, looking for flats recently, I kind of changed my tack in terms mm-hmm. of, like, initially I would just ask if there were any stairs at the house without saying I was a wheelchair user first. Yes. It was kind of like the hidden secret way. I mean, I don't want to assume people didn't reply to me because I use a wheelchair because I'd like to think the best of people that they might mm. just be busy, they don't reply. But there's always that little thing in the back of your head like, I wonder if it's because of that. Mm. So, yeah, it's always that kind of internal conversation. At mm. what point is it going to be beneficial or a disadvantage? Mm. And God, can we just build buildings that are accessible oh. so it's not even a question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I guess I could go into the story now. This is um, yeah, my do. looking for a flat story. Oh, my God, I'm so angry okay. already. So okay. I, oh, I, know, I don't know if I want to share this, though. It'll no. make you really angry. I've been looking for a flat since probably the beginning of this year, just looking on Trade Me and flooding websites and Facebook and things like that. And I guess for me, like, one of the main things is finding somewhere accessible. Um, and 
lots of like, no, two-storey, no, there's like a massive staircase. There's a certain amount you can do to modify it, but anything more than, say, like three stairs is probably going to be a lot of effort. You know, you're going to need some big mm. ugly ramp outside, you know, front right. of this, especially when it's a rental, you know. It's not as straightforward. So um, I was really close to moving into this flat and the other flatmates were really lovely and happy to put in a ramp and they'd kind of got it all good and signed off with the landlord. And I had organised it with ADHB, got the funding locked in, got some measurements and a really nice sketch. Um, But because the house was on a shared driveway, um, they would have to put a ramp um, along the shared driveway, but we could make it really close to the house. Um, So we did it as tight as possible. And the last thing to do was to get it signed off with the neighbours. So... I went over and I had, you know, my little sketch drawn out and I went over, knocked and to say, hi, you know, I'm Olivia and think of moving into the flat next door and we will have to put in a ramp. Um, but I just want to show you the sketch we've done. Um, and it's just going to be 12 centimetres into the shared driveway. And the neighbours just wouldn't agree. And uh, <laughs> it was quite a tra- traumatic experience because yeah, the neighbour even got out a measuring tape to show me how big her car was. Um, So she's like killing the earth and doesn't. It was so upsetting. I drove home and like had a big cry and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to give up. This is like too emotionally exhausting for me. I'm so sorry. And um, in the end, so I left it for a bit, but now I have moved into a new flat just last weekend. And there's like no stairs, lovely flatmates. I haven't met the neighbours yet, but I'll... I'll give them, <laughs> give them some baking or something just to say hi. <laughs> like, it's really dehumanising mm-hmm. to have to go and compete with the car. A quick update on my new neighbours. They are lovely. The other day, the older lady next door came over and gave me an apple and she reminded me to stay warm because the weather's been getting cold outside. It was very sweet. Off the back of Olivia's experience of ableism, Gulrees has had her fair share of being able-splained. That's when non-disabled people give unwanted and often patronising advice to disabled people. Oh, my God. The people who want to treat MS with vitamins, there's a lot of them. Really? And there's actually... and there's Yeah, like... <laughs> or essential oils. Have you had that one? Um, yes, I've had essential oils sent to me. Because of the MS or not? No, 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 because of the MS. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not just talking about all the stuff that I've had sent to me. Um, yeah, no, but it's a lot of vitamin B people. Okay. Yeah, who want to like sit down and be like, have you thought about taking vitamin B tablets? And you'd be like, I get it injected. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, like way yeah, ahead of you. Totally, totally. <laughs> it's, it's not like, yeah. But someone actually said to me, listen, I've said this before to someone with MS and they got really angry. So don't get angry, but... And it's like, someone already probably slapped you. you know? <laughs> but, like, they still said it, the vitamin B thing. Looking at the future, what does um, your future with MS look like? If I sit down and think about how much is unknown about what my future looks like, then, yeah, there is definitely fear. It's that thing of I don't know what it's going to look like. And I think we don't talk about this enough, but there's obviously huge mental health um, challenges that comes with disability, from the stress of trying to find a home to being treated in a, in a dehumanising way to not knowing 
what the advancement of your disability looks like because a lot of us have that as well on the horizon. Yeah, so for me, it's, un- it's pretty much unknown. What I do know is that like stress and tiredness advance MS. So do you think since your diagnosis, like how has your lifestyle changed to manage that? Probably not enough. What was quite nice was that everyone went into lockdown and started yeah. washing their hands. <laughs> like, it's really nice that everyone started washing their hands because um, apparently no one was. Like, I don't know. I don't know what people Not for 20 seconds at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's quite good. Um, I probably do try and rest more, but mm. I definitely haven't changed my lifestyle enough. Um, so the rest and avoiding stress is the thing. And then there's two other things. There's only two other things that clinical, proper clinical trials have shown help your brain cells regenerate. Vitamin B? No. <laughs> no. Oh my God, it's not even vitamin B. It's, it's another really annoying one and a really weird one. So the, the really annoying one is um, exercise and the other one is sunlight. Mm-hmm. And it's not vitamin D, it's the light. So, yeah, and it regenerates your brain cells. So in terms of where I work, it's obviously one of the worst places you can work if you need to, you know, have work-life balance. Um, (laughs) uh, The debating chamber and parliament sit until 10pm on all the sitting days. And so you can't leave the building. And then we work weekends, we work nighttime because events happen. And now whether or not I can kind of change that by modelling a different way of being because I physically have to it's kind of a live question, but I think it's also one of those ones where it becomes a little bit unfair. So, you know, shifting the onus onto the person who's suffering most as a result of institutional systemic exclusion is not necessarily the right way to bring about change. It's often the only way (laughs) that change happens. Well, thank you so much, Goris, for your time. And thank you for affirming my... Um, deep uh, (laughs) anger and unsettledness about that GP telling me to be rational. Yeah, that's wild. (laughs) The age-old saying is, if you can see it, you can be it. But it's not that easy for disabled people because there are systematic barriers preventing our inclusion. How are we supposed to lean in if we can't even get in the building? And just because I see a disabled person doing something, it doesn't mean I can too. All our experiences and abilities are so different. That's why every human's accessible options are so important. Because when you feel confident and enabled, you're better equipped to tackle what's in front of you. There is a leader at every level. And with every human, you can find options that make you feel like the leader you are. Whether that be with a helping hand from their curated range of accessible lifestyle products, through to the magic of zip-on billy footwear, or with Tommy Hilfiger dresses and easy-to-grip makeup brushes, if makeup is your thing. Disabled people should have the freedom to not just navigate a world where they can access the building, but lean in and lead the lives they want. This is sometimes a tiring pursuit, but every human makes it a little bit easier for you to lead by ensuring you have access to products, garments and footwear that enables you to be your best. Our next guest is Paula Tesserero. She's a Paralympian and someone I looked up to as a young athlete. Paula's still involved in sport. She's chef de mission for the New Zealand Paralympic team. She's also the Disability Rights Commissioner 
and her role is around protecting and promoting the rights of disabled people. Her job is to advise decision makers in central government, local government and businesses about how to take a disability lens when making decisions. We wanted her on the show because she's the perfect example of a strong disabled leader who does her job with grace while rebuilding the world for disabled people. The name of our podcast, I like, I, I like telling people this and seeing their reaction when they um, don't know what it is. What's wrong with you? <laughs> there is nothing wrong with me <laughs> or any of my disabled friends. So my impairment is um, I'm an amputee and uh, on one side of... Um, so my left leg is prosthetic leg and my right leg below the knee, sort of the muscles are wasted and it doesn't have a functioning ankle. And I'm missing a few fingers. Um, ten fingers are about overrated. <laughs> um, so that's the nature of my impairment. But definitely nothing wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it from birth or later yeah. on in life? So I had this thing called amniotic banding, which is essentially where the fibrous bands inside the uterus kind of, I think about it like the roots of a plant, sort of, they kind of come out and tangle around the limbs of the fetus. And in most cases, the fetus dies, but... Um, the lucky ones, <laughs> don't. <laughs> yeah. I had grown up fiercely determined to be a lawyer. Like, that was kind of mm. a thing. <laughs> and so I went off to university and something in my head just said to me, you know, don't reveal disability, just mm. hide it, just try and, you know... Um, if you're having a painful day, just, you know, don't limp, just walk like everyone else, and, mm. and I really focused on doing everything I could to hide it. I started to compete in duathlons and triathlons with friends, so I was doing the cycling bit and they were doing mm. the other parts. And we were doing quite well. And then I started that journey towards being a Paralympian. And when I started to get some success on the bike, and it was in the media and things, I felt like... I'd been outed as this, as this disabled person. Mm. I had no control yeah. over mm. the way that, you know, I was portrayed. Yeah. And that was really hard to begin with. And then there was a moment where something switched for me. And I think it was that point of realising, you know, I grew up with people saying, you know, gosh, you've done well despite your disability mm. or despite. And I realised that it was never despite. It was always actually because yeah. of my disability. And I think that was the thing that gave me that supercharged moment of uh, this This is me, I can't imagine any mm. other me. So you know you get people who ask questions like, if there was some miraculous surgery, yeah. would you do it? Mm. Um, and I think, no, I, mm. I, I, this is me, it's core to my identity, it's who I am, as well as, you know, other roles in life. So, yeah, an interesting journey, but um, fascinating to go through. I think a lot of the identity struggles that I went through happened 
in parallel to my journey as a swimmer. So my journey with swimming was that I very much tied Rebecca the swimmer to be my main identity because it's what I felt gave me value. But it wasn't until kind of, you know, I've been doing it for a few years that I started to really take notice of the disability aspect of it and realise that without my disability, I wouldn't be doing and achieving all these amazing things that I was doing. And I think for so long I resisted disability because, no, I was Rebecca the swimmer. And then I think it was leading into Rio, the Rio Paralympics, that um, I almost had this, this, like, the switch went off. And it was like, okay, no, like, I can embrace the disability stuff too. And, you know, I'm really proud to be a Paralympian and everything that that encompasses. Now you are the um, Disability Rights Commissioner. You know, you're so emotionally invested in your work and having a disability yourself. How do you take care of yourself or balance balance that? It's a really good question. I, I don't think I've nailed it. It is really challenging. So, uh, you know, I feel a sense of really overwhelming responsibility and accountability to change things. And in a way, it, it's you know completely unrealistic to expect one person can can do that. There are disability champions in New Zealand who have really you know helped shift the dial. We've got to we've all got to try and keep shifting that dial. That emotional investment does take its toll. I think for me the important things that do um, sort of help you know help me keep my well-being sort of on target is, you know, I do still ride my bike. So that's really important for me. And spending time with, you know, the kids and Pete and wider family. And, you know, it's it's one of those roles that's hard to switch off from, though, because you do it all day and then you manage your own impairment. And yeah. so yeah. it is just, it's 24-7. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's exhausting, but it's it's a privilege too. Mm. So yeah. I haven't nailed it. Yeah. I have certainly yeah. haven't nailed it. But even just yesterday, um, now that I've kind of moved into a new flat, um, I'm trying to get a, a support worker to help doing some things that I can't do. Um, and I can understand why there is quite a thorough assessment process because they don't want people to take advantage of, you know, getting funding when they aren't allowed or, you know, that type of thing. The lady was so lovely and she was doing her job. But even just that process, like I met this lady, you know, and straight into all these really personal questions about, like, am I okay shaving my legs by myself? Can I get changed by myself? Like, how do I manage my period every month? Like, quite intrusive. Yeah. And I know that other people do need help with that type of thing. But even for me, I was quite, like, taken aback yeah. that I was having to share all this with a stranger um, in order just to get a cleaner to help me, yeah. you know? It's a tricky balance, yeah. isn't it? Because, mm. yeah, I, I, I hear what you say about, you know, a system of public money somehow has to have some accountability built mm. in. But at the end of the day, that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that actually, you know, disabled people have to go into the nth degree mm. of our lives to explain that. There should be a certain degree of this is what I need and, you know, 
I know what I need because <laughs> I'm the person who lives with this impairment. And getting to that that stage where you don't have to sell your soul and share such personal information, and particularly on a repetitive basis. Mm. You know, you think if you tell the story once, okay, but beyond that, then, you know, I, I just, you know, these stories, I... I just I hear too many of them, you know, it's like this, this is this is our you know, our lives. Now, despite Paula having a very senior role and responsibility in New Zealand as the Disability Rights Commissioner, she's still not free from ableism and patronizing comments. I'm the queen of oh, yes. stories of being able explained <laughs> to. I had been out for a ride on my bike, been mountain biking, and I'd sort of come off the track and I was just slowly pedalling along the road mm. home. And I saw this lady um, who was on the same side of the road but walking towards me. Mm. She's about 100 metres away. Anyway, I was wearing shorts, so it was plainly visible. I had prosthetic leg. <laughs> and she, this woman stopped. She started clapping and she said, well done. Oh, my gosh. And I I was, (laughs) I was so taken. I thought, oh, my gosh. And it's really interesting because that one, that really offended me. Like, that that one really offended me. Bex and I just cringing. Like, we literally got our hands up to our face right now. Yeah. That was really unique. And my other favourite one, I was shopping and I... Everything happens when you're at the supermarket or at the mall. It's always this. (laughs) And anyway, I went into this clothing shop and I tried on this jumpsuit thing Mm -hmm. that was short. So shorts at the bottom, kind of T-shirt on the top, but it was all joined. Mm. And I thought... I wonder if I could pull that off. <laughs> so it was like, it was summer, right? So it was hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So put it on, and they didn't have a mirror inside the dressing room, so you know, you had to oh, come yeah, out, right? Weird. And look at the big one. Mm. So I come out and, you know, I'm having a look. And the shop assistant lady comes over and she looks, and then she sort of looks sideways, and then she turns her neck the other way, and she goes, hmm. Do you normally wear shorts? <laughs> no. So I'm wanting to just crawl into the ground at this moment, but I was very proud of my comeback. So I went into the changing room thinking, I just want to just hide in here. But I thought, no, girl, be strong. So I put my head around the um, curtain and I said, oh, excuse me, do you have any mini skirts? <laughs> I was like, Ur. An example I like to share with people, even just the difference in access between resources between ACC oh, yeah. and Ministry of Health. Um, I've got a um, an old workmate. She um, is a she's a wheelchair user. She's uh, got spinal cord injury, and she was wanting to get a ramp, like a portable ramp, into her house. So the OT came over and showed her these two pamphlets saying, like, what kind of um, ramp would you like? None of them were 
quite what she would need. And then she mentioned her spinal cord injury and being on ACC. Then the OT was like, oh, sorry, I didn't realise that. Gets out a massive booklet, flicks through all the pages and is like, which one would you like? That that was a beautiful example, actually, which I, you know, I, I hear variations of all too often. You know, those inequitable outcomes, in my view, are not acceptable. It shouldn't matter how you become disabled. Mm. The fact is, you are, and the level of assistance should be far more equal. Yeah, I mean, we see so many amazing campaigns and organisations out there, but I guess the struggle is still there as as a disabled person. And, you know, it's kind of like you live with this level of acceptance of struggle. What is it actually going to take to make that struggle disappear? Oh God, I re- <laughs> you, got, look, you, you guys will have, have great ideas in response to that, that question. I think from my perspective, we do actually need to be really loud. I think we've been a community where for periods of time, not always, because we've had some really staunch advocates you know, in years gone by. But I think we've had moments where we've almost become a little grateful for any positive change. Mm. And so I think our own expectations and aspirations of what life in New Zealand should look like for disabled people, we need to have those set really high and we need to all be talking about that. And I think we do need to be loud there shouldn't be much debate about ultimately what we want, which is full dignified lives, living living life in the yeah. way that, that everyone else lives life. So I think I think us all actually getting a bit louder is important because actually sadly, often the loudest do get listened to. Mm. And so I think we've, you know, podcasts like this, um, you know, people really talking out and talking loudly and and demanding better. If we want to be this New Zealand that we think we can be, much more socially inclusive and Mm. diverse, then we have to talk about disability. Thank you for listening to What's Wrong With You. In the next episode... And the woman behind the counter... She just looked at me point blank and she goes, can you have children? Loads of people say things like, you know, they can't use the word see or watch around me. Exoskeleton? I'm like personally offended by them. (laughs) This podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air. Thank you to our guests, Golrez Gatterman and Paula Tesserero, as well as Adam Dudding, Carol Hirschfeld, Eugene Bingham, Grace Stratton and All Is For All. This episode was sponsored by Every Human, an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing, footwear and lifestyle products. It's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities. Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au.